you do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. Let every nation know, whether it wishes us well or ill, that we shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe, to assure the survival and the success of liberty. What's up, everybody? That's right. You got the right ta-ta, but the wrong ho-ho. Welcome. Welcome, 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 everyone, to episode number Deuce Deuce. That's 22 in the chamber of the Lone Gunman podcast. This is your host, Rob Clark, your boy, here with you live on a beautiful, beautiful Saturday afternoon in a house all to myself. I mean, a studio all to myself. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit today about Jefferson Davis Tippett. That's right. <clears throat> it's a subject that I've been avoiding and avoiding and avoiding for a while because honestly, there's no, there's no happy ending to this story. There's no nice, neat bow you can put on this story. There's no definitive answers you're going to get from this story. Uh, in fact, from this story, the only thing that ever comes out of it is more questions. And, you know, it, it, it's an aspect of the case that, that I have looked into. But it doesn't intrigue me as much as the rest of it because... Here's my opinion on the J.D. Tippett murder, okay? I look at it as separate from the rest of everything. Because when you establish certain facts and you play them against uh, the narrative that they tell you and, and, and certain other time frames that we can put to it, uh, it can be established pretty pretty quickly that there's no way in in hell that Oswald would have been able to make it okay to Tenth and Patton and kill Tippett at the time that they allege him to do so okay 
Now let's go back to that fateful day. Okay, we know Kennedy was killed at about 12.35 p.m. Okay, so we'll we'll be nice and, and generous and we'll give Oswald 10 minutes to get the hell out of the building. Okay, no matter where he was, no matter what he was doing, okay, because you got to figure, you know, a minute or two until the until the Marion Baker encounter if that actually happened. But assuming it did, okay, now you're down to 8 minutes. Okay, and, and everything going on and, and people walking around and milling around and, you know, him overhearing conversations uh, that would have been, you know, he would have been able to determine that work would have been called off for the rest of the day. You know, that he would have got his stuff together and, and left the building. Okay, so we'll give him 10 minutes to leave the building. So now we're bumped up to 1245. Okay. Now, we are supposed to believe that he walked, he left the uh, school book depository on foot and got on a bus on Main Street going in the wrong direction. And that, that bus then got caught in traffic as it approached back towards the Texas School Book Depository. Then he got back off the bus and. Walked a couple blocks up further to the, I guess it was the Greyhound station, maybe, uh, where he was going to catch a cab. And he even gave his cab to a little old lady and waited for another one. You know, this guy that was in such a hurry, you know, to make his getaway after just murdering the president. And then, anyway, we're told... He's dropped off by the cab driver, you know, maybe four blocks past his house on, on, on Beckley. And then he walked back to his house, went into his house, uh, changed clothes, okay, which, you know, takes a little while. You can't just instantly tear off your clothes and, and put new ones on and run back out the door just as quickly as can be. Um... So yeah, that took a little bit. And using Erlene Roberts as a reference who was, you know, sitting there watching TV. And, you know, when her show, you know, was coming on. You know, of course we can, you know, if we go by what she says, you know, we can put it together that he was leaving the house at approximately, approximately 105-ish. And that she looked out the window and saw him standing on the corner. Or, no. Maybe she did, maybe she didn't. I can't remember exactly. I can't remember if she told, said she, that he was standing there at the bus stop waiting or if he had turned around the corner and she lost sight of him, assuming he was going to the bus stop. Uh, but that's still, that's putting us, you know, somewhere in the one five one ten area. Now, Tippett called in to the dispatcher for the last time according to the Warren Commission at about 115 or no not 105 was his last transmission and we also know that that uh, Tippett was acting a little weird 
uh, right before that, you know, he was pulling the cars over and not saying anything, just looking in them. Uh, he ran up in the top 10 record store and, uh, you know, appearing frantic, not talking to anybody, and going straight for the phone, trying to call somebody, not saying anything, like he got no answer. Um, so, yeah, he was acting erratic, you know, before before he was killed. And, you know, while Oswald was changing his clothes at his rooming house, you know, the, uh, the landlady said that there was a horn honk out in front of the house, like beep beep. And she looked out the window and it was a cop car, Dallas City Police cop car. And she stated it appeared to have two, two, two police in it, in the front seat. And this has been tried to be debunked um, by others by saying, oh no, it was just a jacket hanging in the back seat. It made it look like there was two people there. But she states it was clearly two people. So we'll, 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 I'm going to go with that. And I've heard various theories about the Tibbet killing, uh, ranging from the insane, crazy, crazy, insane, uh, you know, to the jilted lover, to Roscoe White being involved, to Jack Ruby being involved, uh, a number of things uh, you know of course Oswald being involved but I will tell you this there's no way that unless he was driven there Lee Harvey Oswald could have got down there in time to kill Tippett at what I believe to be the time between 106 and 109 and just from just from looking into it witness testimony uh, radio logs, things of that nature. Um, am I able to pinpoint it to that th three-minute window? And it's. And I'm not going to sit here and go through every reason why, because this podcast is only 45 minutes long, and I won't be able to get it all in. But most people have looked into the, into the Tippet killing, and. You know, understand what I'm talking about when there's, you know, uh, witnesses like T.F. Bowley, um, Akila Clemens, Helen Markham, um, Domingo Benavides, and <coughs> what T.F. Bowley says is he picked up his daughter at about 12.55 and was driving to the telephone company on Zhang's to pick his wife up and that he pulled up on the scene at approximately 1.10 and Tibbet was already dead he didn't see the suspect get away uh, he got out and there was somebody trying to radio but they didn't know how and he said he would do it and he got on the, the radio and made the call uh, back to dispatch that there was an officer down and huh, almost 50 years later can you believe it 
they finally awarded T.F. Bowley with a certificate of merit from the city of Dallas uh, Police Department, uh, thanking him for doing what he did almost 50 years ago. I mean, what a joke. I mean, that it, that, that it, you know, it's a good gesture, but it took him that long to do it is, is the effed up part. I mean, Bally wasn't even called to testify at the Warren Commission. You know, and he's one of the most uh, important witnesses. Besides maybe Domingo Benavides, who claimed uh, to be coming down the street, or he turned the corner, and he saw Tippett getting out of his car with his gun drawn. And another man coming around the right front fender of the car, almost to the middle of the windshield, and opening up fire on Tippett. And he said he pulled his car to the right, hit the curb, and ducked down. He heard two or three more shots. And then when he looked back up, you know, he could see the guy standing over Tippett. And he was walking away rather calmly. And emptying shells out of his gun in the process and that he disappeared around the corner and Benavides states that as he rolled up on the scene um, Tippett appeared to be deceased he had his gun drawn in his right hand and it was under his body partially and <laughs> that he was the one that made the radio call in and also, I forgot what Bally, something else Bally said that Bally said that he had removed the gun, or after he loaded the, uh, he helped load Tippett into the ambulance, and he took took uh, Tippett's gun and and set it uh, in in the car, and that a uh, somebody else come up and took the gun out and said, let's go get the guy. So somebody. I think it was Callaway, a cab driver, supposedly took Tippett's gun and went after the suspect. Now, of course, we can ascertain from these radio logs as well that the Keystone cops, I mean, Dallas police, uh, also got a call about the suspect being in the library that was close by there. And they went and said that, no, they had the wrong boy. Okay, and uh, I've heard some stories about that, um, and there was also a report of the suspect holding himself up in the Abundant Life Church, located just down the alley there uh, from the Tippett scene, and what struck me odd about that, of course, is the connection to the Abundant Life Church. Uh, being created by Fred Lee Chrisman and of course his connections with Thomas Beckham and that it would appear to me that if the person that shot Tippett was involved of course in the conspiracy to, to kill JFK as was you know of course these guys alleged in, in New Orleans with Ferry and Shaw and uh, and that whole bunch um, Beckham and Chrisman, you know, they would have known that that, uh, that this church would have been a probably a, a good bet to be a safe haven for them, and would have likely hold up there if they were in trouble. 
But according to the radio log, um, they had went in there and it was the wrong guy. And that they were told, oh no, we got the suspect at the Texas Theater, so that can't be the right guy. Okay, this is what they were told. <laughs> so, who was the guy that was holed up in the Abundant Life Church? That would really be nice to know. Because... I want to say that after reading uh, Harvey and Lee by John Armstrong, he makes a really good case for somebody, and I talked about this before, um, impersonating Lee Oswald that day. And the reason this comes up again is because, as we know, after I analyzed the Oswald double phenomenon, that there was reports, seven different reports from just that day alone of Oswald being someplace he should not have been or could not have been because we know he was somewhere else at the time. You know, the reports of, of the Oswald double phenomenon come from uh, the, the police reports that they, you know, that the suspect was hiding in the balcony of the Texas theater. And then there was a police report that he was arrested in the balcony of the Texas theater. And then, of course, we also have reports that no, no, Oswald was arrested on the floor of the theater and tried to start a fight, or tried to shoot uh, Officer McDonald. And uh, we have that story. And, of course... Uh, one of the store owners close to the Texas theater uh, thought that he had witnessed Oswald's capture that day in the alley in back of the Texas theater. For years he thought this until he came across the picture of Oswald being taken out the front of the Texas theater. Um, so who was that guy arrested out the back of the Texas theater? Oswald Double? It's hard to say. Uh, but I think John Armstrong does a very good uh, job of presenting the various uh, tippet scenario options in his book. And even if you don't agree with the premise of there being a Harvey and there being a Lee, um, you can't deny the witness reports and... Uh, you can't deny the, the uh, possibility that someone was impersonating Lee Oswald. You know, if not Harvey, then someone else. Or maybe multiple other people. It's hard to say. Well, let's go back for a minute and uh, back to another theory that bore out. Thank you to Erlene Roberts reporting two police officers being seen in the car. And I read this somewhere, and it's escaping me where. I want to say it was from uh, uh, Richard Sprague, but I'm not 100% sure on that. I might have to nail that down if anybody has any further questions. But um, it was alleged by a certain author. I think it was Sprague. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. 
because I'm probably wrong, um, that it was Roscoe White in the front of the cruiser and that there was another person, an Oswald Imposter, uh, laying down in the back seat. And the theory that they posit is that uh, either they were trying to find Oswald to take him to the airport to get him out of town because they were dirty cops and they were working for the bad guys. Or they were supposed to pick up Oswald and stage a big arrest scene whereupon they proceed to kill him become the heroes now the detractors of this theory will have you believe that because uh, Roscoe White was such a new recruit uh, to the police force it's, it's, it's unlikely that he would have been in the position to have been out that day with Tippett and not be seen anywhere other than in front of Erling Roberts' house. Uh, because other places, of course, Tippett was seen alone. Uh, he was seen at the Gloco station there at the end of the Houston Viaduct, waiting for approximately 10 minutes after the, con after the assassination for something. He was just sitting in his car, waiting. Um, what was he waiting for? <laughs> You know that's that's the question here. When when the excitement's going down at the uh, railroad yard, and you know Tippett really, it, actually in the initial radio logs there was no order for Tippett to go to Oak Cliff. Uh, it just it wasn't there, and I believe it was two or three radio logs were submitted to the Warren Commission. Uh, you know after they kept asking for different ones are more detailed accounts and it only appears I think in the second or third one that he was uh, dispatched to Oak Cliff but it doesn't make sense because Oak Cliff was not his normal beat okay he had really had no reason to be there um, you know his area was was a little little ways away maybe in Oaklawn I might be remembering that wrong but Either way, he he shouldn't, and ha, and he really had no business being in Oak Cliff at that time. Um, but anyway, back to the, the Roscoe White theory, is that uh, maybe they got impatient because Oswald didn't come right out, and they thought they missed him, so they left and tried to find him, and when they couldn't find him. You know, possibly they were arguing and got to fighting and maybe Tippett had second thoughts about doing whatever they were supposed to be doing. And, you know, Roscoe White was like, you know, they got into a big argument. And Roscoe got out of the car. And, uh, you know, he might have said, you know, just, just pull over, just pull over, let me out, let me out. And then Tippett was arguing with him. And then, boom, 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 boom. You know. Tippett was killed, and then Roscoe makes a getaway. Now, just from the eyewitness accounts, you know, it, it appears that the person that shot 
Tippett was, well, at least according to one witness, was, was kind of short and stocky with bushy hair, which doesn't fit Roscoe White at all. Uh, in fact, the only time Roscoe White had hair was when he wore his toupee, <laughs> which he may have been wearing, but he was, and you know, he was on the shorter side. And, uh, he was about the same size as Oswald, uh, but he really wasn't that stocky, so to speak. He was probably built like, about like Oswald, who wasn't stocky at all. And, you know, of course there's that theory. And then, and then we have the Jack Ruby theory that, um, you know, Tip was trying to get in touch with Jack Ruby and saw him on the street. And because he messed up and didn't get Oswald, Ruby killed him. And then uh, made his little getaway. It's hard to say. Um, one thing for definite sure is it couldn't have been Oswald because the time frame doesn't allow it to be Oswald. Okay. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, Butch Burroughs, who worked at the Texas Theater, uh, remembers seeing Oswald. I think it was as early as possibly... I want to say 115, I believe. I have to double check that. Don't quote me on that. Um, and if that's the case, then it, it couldn't have been Oswald shooting Tippett either because he wouldn't have had time to get there, do that, and then get to the theater in that amount of time. <clears throat> and of course, there's a discrepancy about whether or not he actually bought a ticket or whether he just snuck in. Um, you know, there's 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 a concern about the person who reported, uh, quote Oswald unquote, uh, you know, appearing appearing shifty and nervous and uh, acting weird when he was ducking in and out of storefront windows and doors, and it was uh, it was Johnny Brewer. I think that's right. Is is the one that called it and called it in and said that the guy matched the, the description and he was acting weird and he wanted to report it or else they would have never known to go to the Texas theater. Which is another odd occurrence in, in itself. Um Jack had found uh, you know, from the tip of the scene, Oswald was not known to have had one like that. Uh at least according to Marina, you know, and the, the jacket that he wore to work that day, according to Buell Frazier, was uh, either a dark gray or dark blue uh, tweed type jacket, and uh, I believe it was recovered in the uh, Texas School Book Depository after, you know, everything. So, you know, nothing, nothing really matches up here. But uh, there's some weird anomalies I found looking through back through the radio log. <clears throat> and I'll post a link up to this on the uh, 22 November site uh, for the radio log. I think it was, excuse me, CE, uh, which is Commission's Exhibit 705, I think. <clears throat> Don't quote me on that either. 
Um, but yeah, some things that stuck out to me from that thing, uh, reading through it, initially, of course, there was initial reports that they were chasing a gunman up through the railroad area. Um, and to be on the lookout uh, for a suspect back there with a 30-30 rifle. <clears throat> and also to be on the lookout for a white, uh, what they said, Pontiac, white uh, station wagon. <clears throat> and to proceed with caution when encountering it. Um, this sticks out to me because, of course, <clears throat> what Roger Craig asserted that he saw Oswald coming down the... Uh, the embankment there and getting into the the uh, white station wagon which I don't think he I don't think he called it a Nash Rambler but all them old cars like that especially in old station wagons kind of look the same unless you were a big car aficionado <clears throat> you know it's hard to hard to pick out the specifics there but uh yeah white station wagon and I believe uh that was also one of the vehicles that Lee Bowers talked about being back in the railroad area before the assassination. So that kind of stuck out of my mind a little bit. <clears throat> and also, there was a report in the radio log at about, I want to say, 3 or 4 o'clock that day, uh, of an explosion at the YMCA, uh, which stuck out to me because... As we know, Oswald stayed for a little while at the Dallas YMCA. As did two other fellas who were arrested passing through Dallas. Uh, Lauren Hall and, and uh, William Seymour. And, <clears throat> you know, you don't really hear much about it. So if anybody knows anything about the explosion that happened at the YMCA there in Dallas that day, get at me. Let me know. Uh, which you know because it just seems very odd to me that you know an explosion would have would have, would have happened that day and we, we we didn't really hear about it, it wasn't made made a made a lot of <coughs> damn it I hate drinking milk but uh back to Tippett you know it's uh the whole Tippett story is a big giant convoluted mess to me like it's it's almost an afterthought for me because you know I just put it out of my brain as being not related uh, to the assassination because Oswald couldn't possibly have done it because he couldn't possibly have got there in time uh, but it was key for their for their story later you know that this, this cop killer you know, and he was arrested on the Tippett shooting. He wasn't arrested <coughs> on the uh, JFK assassination initially. Um, that day, they were focused on him being Tippett's killer, not uh, JFK's killer. Yet, they were in fact looking for uh, Charles Givens. Uh, they were looking for Buell Frazier. Uh, the whereabouts of these these men and uh, you know they didn't have Oswald nailed down as the killer yet in fact their information according to the radio logs is all over the place as well uh, they said they found three or uh, two halls 
two shells on the third floor of the depository, which <clears throat> even for a big dumb jock policeman, you know, maybe a corn-fed country boy policeman, to screw up the distinction of where you found the shells or where shells were found, uh, there's a big difference between the third floor and the sixth floor. You know, even if, uh, you know, you walked up the stairs to get there, I think it would be pretty easy to figure out and differentiate between the third and the sixth floors. And then there's also reports that the shooter was on the fourth or the fifth floor. You know, and everything is all over the place. <clears throat> but, uh, back to the tippet shooting for a minute. Now here's another theory um, that that it puts Tippett, you know, being involved with everything. Um, that Tippett had been employed to help a man escape from Dallas, and he was not told what crime the man had done. When he realized that the man who was supposed to that he was supposed to help had killed JFK, he changed his mind and tried to arrest Oswald. And when Oswald realized what was happening, he killed Tippett. Um, I don't know about that. Um, that puts Oswald there, and I don't agree with that quite right. Um, some some points to remember, though. Uh, you know, if, if you want to put Tippett in, involved in the conspiracy, um, the physical description of Oswald that was given by the Dallas police was really not accurate enough for Tippett to have recognized him, and. If Oswald had already went home to change, then then the, the uh, description of his clothing is no longer valid. Uh, Tippett was alone at the time that he tried to apprehend Oswald. Uh, standing orders for the police in Dallas, as in other cities, are that radio cars of the type Tippett was driving were supposed to have two policemen in them. Uh, Tippett was not in the sector of Dallas where he had been assigned the day before. He should have been in downtown Dallas at the time he intercepted Oswald. Uh, supposedly halfway between Oswald and Ruby's residence. <clears throat> uh, Tippett violated police procedure by failing to make use of the radio beside him to notify his fellow officers or dispatch that he was stopping to question a suspect in the Kennedy assassination. Now that is true. Uh, he should have radioed in that he was going to be out of his car. Uh, according to one witness, Oswald smiled at Tippett when he saw him, ambled over to the to the car, and they had a friendly conversation for almost a minute. And then Tippett stayed in the car, and Oswald standing in the street uh, beside his rolled down car window. Uh, Eva Grant. Who is Ruby's sister? Told reporters that Ruby and Ruby and Oswald were like brothers. Okay. Uh, Eva Grant also states that uh, Tippett knew Ruby. Now this puts all three of them together as being a part of the conspiracy. But then again, like I said before, unless the unless the uh, the time frames are different or change. You know, I don't, I don't know how you can put Oswald uh, killing Tippett. 
Uh, Tippett was referred to as a redneck, which I like him already if he was, because that's what I am. <laughs> and also a corrupt cop. And although Tippett was also a womanizer, which means he was cheating on his wife a lot, which is is a uh, pretty well known. Um, let's see. An undercover narcotics officer working for Sheriff Decker was also working as a musician in various nightclubs, including Jack Ruby's, and he claims that Tippett was one of the Dallas police officers closest to Ruby and who performed many tasks for him. Mac Pate, the owner of a garage who knew a large number of Dallas police, heard from several of them who took their cars to him that Tippett was a dirty cop. A friend of Tippett's own mother also confirms this. Mac Pate's mechanic, T.F. White, who was interviewed by the FBI, spotted a car parked at the El Chico restaurant across from their garage just after the shooting at Dealey Plaza. White insisted the man sitting in the car was Oswald. Uh, Mac Pate and Wes White checked around Oak Cliff for some time and found quite a number of people who had seen Ruby and Oswald together on many occasions during the weeks preceding the assassination. Wes Wise later became the mayor of Dallas. Earl Crater of the Pig and Whistle restaurant said that LHO, Ruby, and Tippett had breakfast there on a number of occasions at 7 a.m. Crater said that LHO never had more than a cup of coffee. Okay. Uh, craziness. You know, it, it, like I said, it's just, it just gets more and more and more convoluted. Um, now, I remember I told you about... Uh, Tippet uh, pulling over a car, looking in it real quick, and 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 leaving, not saying anything to the driver. Um, the salesman who experienced this incident, James Andrews, worked for American National Life Insurance, which had not long before also employed Roscoe White until he began at the police department. Roscoe White and Tippet knew each other, lived near each other, and their families were connected. Mrs. Tippet had been a bridesmaid at 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 the White's wedding to Geneva. Okay. So, it's hard to ignore all this stuff, but it's hard to connect them all together. And I'm not even going to pretend to be able to do it. You know, all I can give you is, is, is what I deem to be worthy, worthy facts of the case, um, you know, and recommend... Uh, highly Joseph Joseph McBride's book Into the Nightmare which I believe is the the best book out there on the Tippett case um, it doesn't go far enough in some areas um, but at least it's more truthful than Dale Myers book who uh, I don't recommend at all because of course he's a he's a lone nut supporter and convinced that Oswald killed Tippett so I mean I don't know why he bothered to write a book about it but that's that and I'll leave you with this little nugget uh, a Doris Holen who lived at 409 East 10th Street uh, directly upstairs across from the street from uh, the Tippett murder scene uh, she just got home a little after one and she heard gunshots 
As she hurried to her window and saw Tippett's patrol car across the street, Tippett was lying on the street near the left front of the car. She saw a man leaving the scene, moving westward towards Patton. Uh, Miss Holland also noticed something else not previously ever been reported. A second police car that was in the driveway that, that uh, where Tippett was in front of. And it went all the way back to an alley. And it was moving forward slowly towards Tippett's car on 10th. Near the police car, she also saw a man in the driveway walking toward the street where Tippett was parked. She went downstairs at once and over to Tippett. The man in the driveway continued to the street, walked in front of Tippett's car, paused, looked down at Tippett's head, and retraced his path up the driveway. At the same time, the police car changed direction and backed up in the driveway to the alley running parallel to 10th, behind the houses on 404 and 410. Uh, in 1963, the driveway could be entered from the alley, uh, from the rear, as well as from 10th. Because Tibbetts' car was parked in front of the 10th Street entrance, the alley provided the only passage from the driveway for the driver of the police car. Uh, her account of the second police car is supported by the comments of Sam Ginyard, who told Brownlow in 1970 that he saw a police car in the alley shortly after the police shooting. The man in the driveway was also apparently seen by others. A resident of the neighborhood who wishes to remain anonymous told uh, a professor in 1990 that he heard about a man in the driveway who approached Tippett's car. So, there's that. And, like I said, we could do this all day, but, uh, you know, it's just crazy how many things are interconnected when you try to figure this case out and I'm not even going to try but uh, there's some nuggets for you to follow up on anyway and uh, anyway that's going to be it for the show today I hope you enjoyed it uh, it's been a pleasure for me uh, keep liking liking us on Facebook keep sharing our posts uh, keep visiting the site we try to have new content for you up there every week you know uh, a ton of stuff to check out there's the 22 November site which you can access directly from the uh, Spreaker page uh, my info right there if you click right under my big ugly mug um, right there to the website link it'll take you right there it'll take you right to the Facebook page it'll take you right to Twitter uh, but please and thank you to everyone uh, please continue to listen continue to download and like and share uh, we appreciate it immensely uh, thank you very much. Uh, that's going to be it for this week. This one's in the can up to the satellite. Beam down directly to your ears. This is Rob Clark. Out.
Fuck you, Ralph. You do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 US only. You do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 US only. <laughs> 